Thank you, Steve, and good morning, Wellspring Ohana. It is great to see your faces on Zoom, as well as if you're able to join us by audio, that's awesome too. Um, it is me again. If you were here last week, you're like, wait, didn't you just preach last week? Well, it is, it is a rare occurrence for me to preach on back-to-back -back weekends, but I will do my best to not be thrown off. Uh, if you do your best to not be thrown off, then we'll have a deal, all right? Um, those of you who know some of my story have probably heard me share about moving a lot growing up in my family of origin. I was born here in the islands on Oahu, but at the age of seven, I started moving around the world with my family because of my parents' work as medical missionaries. and. Uh, over the course of my life, if you count each one of those long moves and moving back as a round trip to Hawaii, I've made at least four round trips uh, to Hawaii, moving back and forth, depending on how you count. Once during childhood, once during college, and then twice, twice as an adult. So at least at least four, maybe five round trips. And every time I move back to Hawaii, I notice interesting things about local culture here that. Um, especially when I first moved uh, more recently, like in 2018, I was able to notice some things that I hadn't noticed before about, for example, the way we drive here. And shortly after moving back here in 2018, I was driving down the hill on Luliha Street, somewhere between Wiley and Kuakini Street, uh, or maybe Judge Street, and everything was fine until I hear this piercing sound of screeching tires coming from the car in front of me who is slamming on their brakes trying to avoid a collision with another car, not me, um, who's in front of them turning turning left onto Laliha Street. So the this other car is turning left and then I'm coming down the street with this car in front of me who screeches to avoid the turning car. And I'm watching in that split second to see, okay, is there going to be a crash? Are these cars going to hit each other? Because it's really, really close. Um, and so I, I wait and see. I only hear the sound of the screeching tires. I'm waiting to see the sound of imp waiting to hear the sound of impact, hoping not to hear the sound of the crash. And all I hear is the screech. And that's it. Just the screech of tires. No sound after that. No crash. No yelling. No windows rolling down. Nobody saying anything, uh, no gestures even, and it was just the sound of the tires. And then when the when the car stopped screeching to a halt, then there was just a little pause there, no, nothing besides just silence until the next sound I heard was the car driving off to wherever they were going. So the sound of the engine, and then the other car driving off to wherever they were going. And I was shocked because we had just moved back from. Los Angeles, where this would never happen in such a close call situation where the cars, I mean, they must have been inches away from hitting each other. And it was, you know, very close to being an accident, but nobody said or did anything or if, you know, just kind of kept the emotions inside because uh, that's, that's what you do here. You don't, you don't honk unless you really, really uh, need to. And apparently as I discovered, that wasn't a honking situation. I'm like, what? Oh, wow. I guess I really am. I really am back in the islands. Um, so Hawaii has some unspoken driving rules. 
that are very interesting to me. Um, but I love it here. This is the best place to drive out of any place that I've lived, certainly better than LA or Chicago or um, internationally. I love, I love the way we drive here, honestly, because I'm kind of a slow driver myself. Um, it's very peaceful and it's amazing. And today uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what it means to drive, but in the road of life. And so our sermon today, um, let's see if you can see that. Our sermon today is called Two Cars, Three Mice, and Four Monkeys. And if you're wondering, the two cars that I just mentioned, those are not the two cars because um, there will actually be two more cars that come uh, later in the sermon. Um, all of these are based on some sketch drawings that we'll see. The, the first one has two cars in it. The second one has three mice in it. And the last one has four monkeys in it. And so, like I said, um, that was just the opening story. Those are just free, free mentions of cars. Those aren't the actual official, official ones. And I really wanted to try to make them all start with M, you know, because you got the mice and the monkeys. And so I was tempted to switch it around to four monkeys, three mice, and two motor vehicles, which would have sounded good. However, um, I couldn't handle the fact that it would put them out of order, and I want them to be in order. And so the sermon goes from the cars to the mice to the monkeys. So that's why it's, it's not motor vehicles, it's cars, in case you're really wondering. Um, not to confuse anyone, uh, because otherwise you might think, wait, I thought the, mo the monkeys were coming after the, the mice. Yes, they are. Anyways, we are in our series uh, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're looking at Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And our series is called Mending Life, Sowing Jesus's Kingdom Culture. We're now in week four, looking at the longest block of teaching and words that we have from Jesus anywhere in scripture, where Jesus really reveals his heart and the mission that God has given him, as well as what it means for our world to be mended in different levels, different aspects. And today we're going to be looking at how Jesus mends our understanding of goodness, what it means to be good, what it means to be a good driver or to follow the right pathway, to follow the rules of the road. Um, and maybe we need to have that mended as people in Jesus' day did as well. So starting off with the words of Jesus, I'm using the, the message paraphrase here because I think it helps us uh, get into it a little bit more than um, some of the other translations, which are definitely accurate, but they're harder to connect with at first in a limited amount of time. So this is Jesus talking in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. He says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Now, this is really intense, um, you know, talking about murder and hellfire and words killing. And it's important to remember that this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uses a lot of hyperbole. Uh, a really obvious one comes a few verses later in 
uh, verse 29, where he says, if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out and throw it away, uh, which is not meant to be taken literally, uh, of course, or else devout people would be uh, missing at least one eye. Um, and it's important to remember, even if you didn't have eyes, you could still lust. Uh, what Jesus is really saying is that it's important to take sin in our lives seriously, uh, because when we don't acknowledge or address it, that brokenness can be, it can be detrimental to a healthy connection with God, with people, and with the aina, the land, the creation. So let's keep that in mind as we, as we continue with what Jesus says here. In verse 23, he says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. So it's interesting how this idea of goodness puts worship on pause, depending on your relationship with others. You know, if somebody has something against you, Jesus says, that needs to be addressed before you come to worship God. And then, a similar um, reiteration of this is the next verse, 25 and 26, where Jesus says, or say you're on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. And if that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. And when I was a kid, I used to think, this meant if, if I have a problem with someone else, I need to tell them first before I, I go to God. And when I was looking at more closely this time, it's actually more if someone has an issue with me and there's something that I've done to someone else that I'm aware of, something I need to apologize for, something that was not right, that was not pono. Um, so these are situations where as we reflect, what would be something that you know, as much as God wants to be with us, as much as God wants to receive our praises, what would be something that maybe we need to address with um, another person first? And that brings us to the first point in our outline this morning. Living out a Jesus-mended vision or view of goodness means, number one, we will need more than rules to become godly. We will need more than rules to become godly. We're looking at this view of goodness. How do we understand goodness in a practical way that really challenges and expands and deepens what we already believe about what is good and what is right? Um, it could be that we're already, you know, in lockstep with what God and Jesus have for us, but it could be that we also need to have that shaped um, and expanded as I do with, with my view of, of goodness. So we're looking at that Jesus-mended view of goodness and as I mentioned last week, we're using a book by Sky Jatani called What If Jesus Was Serious? A Visual Guide to the Teachings of Jesus That We Love to Ignore. And as I mentioned, we've got three uh, sketch drawings from him that we're looking at in the message today. If you remember uh, what they are, then great. If not, here's the first one again. Two cars. So here is the first one. Now notice you've got a car on the left that says bad driver, car on the right says good driver. 
And it's a contrast between internal and external righteousness. The car on the left with the bad driver, it has guardrails on the outsides of the car where it symbolizes the rules, the law, the way that we've been um, instructed and commanded to live. And then the car on the right doesn't have those guardrails. It just says no guardrails, um, no law in that case. And at the bottom, it says guardrails are good, but becoming a driver who does not need them is better. Um, similar to how we drive, right? Guardrails are very important. We're not going to take them off the roads. They can save lives. Um, but what really makes us safer, generally speaking, is when we cultivate good driving habits and a good culture of driving that doesn't require us to run into those guardrails, but we have something internally that guides us. Um, so this illustrates one of Jesus's points about how we need more than rules um, to be godly. It's not that rules don't matter. It's not that Jesus throws out the rules. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the rules. I haven't come to throw out the law, um, God's vision for the world. I've come to fulfill that. And so he's taking it in an expanded way, a deeper way into what it means to be the right type of driver, that type of righteousness. Uh, it's not so much about the, the law as much as what kind of person you are, what kind of driver you are. You know, um, he says, even if you just follow the law of not murdering someone, not assaulting someone, okay, that's, that's a start, but that doesn't necessarily mean that just because you're following that law, do not murder the 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're treating others as if they have value that God gives them as people created in God's image with inherent dignity. It doesn't necessarily mean that you respect them as people. It doesn't mean uh, that, you, that you're valuing their life as sacred just because you're following the command of, of not murdering. So there's a difference, right, between just doing the right thing and being the right, the right kind of person. On Friday morning, I was listening to some sports talk radio in the car, as I often do after dropping off the kids at school. And it was the Bobby Curran show where Bobby was interviewing the new head football coach of UH, Timmy Chang. And so I, I really wanted to listen to this. I stayed in the, the driveway until the interview was done. And there was an interesting point where in the midst of all this talk about you know, the program and the team and the coaching and, you know, how to turn this uh, UH football program around. There was a little nugget that as a pastor, I just listened to and thought, wow, that, that strikes uh, my interest a little bit more than just this, this sports conversation. Um, and at one point in the conversation, uh, Bobby was asking Timmy about his coaching hires, because, you know, when the new head coach comes in, you have to decide who's the whole uh, team of assistants going to be. And so there was a particular situation where uh, Timmy Chang was asked about, you know, how come you kept this person around who was part of the old regime and you could have, you know, hired someone else. And that's often the case when a new coach comes in, they kind of, you know, hire a whole new group of people. Um, but, it, but in this case, there was somebody that uh, was kept. And so, 
Bobby was asking him, why did you keep so-and-so around that you had um, inherited? Because, you know, Bobby was surprised that, that this person wasn't just dismissed as part of the previous regime, which did not go well. Um, and Timmy Chang said, well, I want to actually give people a chance. Um, and I'm never for just discarding people because everybody has value. People told me to look into this guy, so I did. And it was that phrase, everybody has value that caused me to stop and say, yeah, I agree with that. Everybody does have value. In fact, it sounds a little bit like Pastor Rebecca's sermon from a couple of weeks ago. One of her points was that no one is beyond, beyond God's blessing. Everybody has value. And of course, the context of how I heard this was an interview about a football team. But the deeper truth is there that we want to really discern how God is working in the world through recognizing that even if, you know, let's say even if he didn't keep that coach around, you know, that person would still have value. Even if they're maybe not the best at their job, they still have value in God's eyes. We can disagree with somebody about something without having to say, you know, that you, you aren't worth the time of acknowledging and respecting you as, as a person, you know, sometimes we get that confused in our society today. It's like, well, I disagree with you, so I don't need to respect you. You know, we see things differently. So, you know, I don't really care about anything in your life. Um, and that's not how God, God sees us, right? God wants to invite us. Um, yeah, we can talk about how we see things differently, but do we see that when we get angry, when we um, treat somebody as less than human, not worth my time, not worth my respect, then you can see the connection, right? Where Jesus is saying, that's kind of like murdering them in a sense. You're basically saying that you don't value the sacred life and being that God has given them. So that's, so that's point number one, is, is recognizing that we need more than, than the rules. So the second point in your notes, living out a Jesus-minded view of goodness means, number two, we choose not to disconnect our outward behavior from our inward postures of the heart. We choose not to disconnect our outward behavior from inward postures of the heart. It's really easy to, to disconnect those things sometimes, even though we're created for them to be um, related to each other. And if you look at our next illustration, we, we saw the two cars. Now we're going to see the three mice. And this is a picture of three angry, with an asterisk, three blind, angry mice. And then at the bottom, it says, don't worry, they're righteous mice. So, okay, they're angry and they have weapons, but it's okay because they're righteous. And in, in the book, I'm just going to read a little section that helps explain this. He says, should a blind person be permitted to carry a loaded weapon? This was the focus of a 2013 court battle where advocates for a conceal and carry law included, uh, sorry, advocates for extending conceal and carry laws to include blind citizens said that the visually impaired should not be discriminated against because it is the right of every American to own and carry a gun. And amazingly, the courts agreed with this argument. 
and the case revealed a gap between legal sense and common sense. And so even though legally, okay, they have a right, but common sense says this is not a good idea. Even if they're good people, um, there can be bad things that happen. And, and the point of why he uses that in this chapter, it has to do with anger. And if you think of anger as a weapon that can be used and do more harm than you intend very easily, um, we have this idea of righteous anger sometimes where, you know, because Jesus was righteously angry because God is, you know, righteously upset about things in scripture, we think, oh, well, I can be righteously angry too. And, you know, it's, it's okay because I'm a, I'm a righteous mouse, you know, and we don't realize the weapon that we're holding with our words that can really do damage when our anger is not under control. And it's not that anger is always wrong. It's not that, um, you know, we, we shouldn't acknowledge that or be aware of that. It's about recognizing how it can stir in us unintended consequences and have more power um, than we realize when there's not that connection between the, the posture of our heart and our outward behavior. Righteous anger can go wrong. Sometimes it's, it's okay, but a lot of the time, you know, it can, it can go wrong. And so there's a video that um, I'm going to ask Pat to play. And it's a clip of a song from Derek Webb, who influenced me a lot um, shortly after college. This song is from 2004. So it's, a, it's been around a while. But in that stage of my life after college, I was really questioning um, a lot of what I saw as hypocrisy in the church and Christianity and, you know, this disconnect between our, our values and our behaviors. Um, and so this song is called T-Shirts, and it's, it's about the T-Shirts that we wear as Christians sometimes. Um, the album is called I See Things Upside Down from 2004, but the song is called T-Shirts. So, Pat, go ahead and give us a look at the video. There's lyrics so that you can um, follow on the screen what, what this song is saying. Hello, Wellspring family. This is Pat. Unfortunately, we can't include the song from the video that Pastor Dan shared because of copyright issues. However, I want to encourage you to go to Wellspring's YouTube channel where you can watch the video that was shared. Use a web browser and go to youtube.com wellspring808 and click on Pastor Dan's sermon. In the description, you'll find a link that will take you to the video that you can watch. It's a great illustration of Pastor Dan's message and thought-provoking as well. I encourage you to check it out. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so just to clarify, those images were added later just by somebody on YouTube. And of course, they are cherry-picked from a point of view. Um, and certainly not all Christians act like this. Um, that said, there is something being pointed to that resonated with me as I went back and, and remembered um, this song and, and where I was um, when that was when that was current. So two reactions, I guess, more recently as I as I thought about this and I thought about, you know, these images, if you're listening on audio, the images are basically a lot of political signs and other types of demonstrations that are much more uh, filled with anger and judgment than love. And on one hand, 
there's that feeling of, oh gosh, is this who we are? Is this how we are known? Is this what Christianity has come to um, be thought of as? And so there's that embarrassment. There's that um, annoyance that, oh my goodness, these Christians are really harming our reputation. Um, and then my second reaction after that, though, as I was kind of paying attention to how how that was stirring in me more recently, was actually, so if I'm, you know, judging all these hypocrites for being hypocritical, to what extent am I a self-righteous, judgmental hypocrite, not towards the world, but towards the church? Um, and that was really convicting to me to think about, um, you know, what does this, what does this mean for my own sense of what is good? Am I good and they're bad? So let me just see. Okay, good. I'm glad the slideshow is still working here. So it's important just to reflect on not only what do we see in the world that is wrong and upsetting, but what is in me? What is in my own attitude that I'm not as bad? You know, I can be just as much of a Pharisee um, as others. It's easy to see when, you know, they're on television or out on the street corners. But what about in my own heart? What about in my own attitude as I'm scrolling through um, social media thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not like that. I'm so much better. Because um, in the song, it says, you know, we're judging anyone whose sin looks worse than ours. Um, even though none of us are perfect, none of us are, are living right. And that's why Jesus died was because we needed that forgiveness and we needed that new way of being. Um, so it's something, it's something to think about. The third point, I promised you three points. So we did the, we did the cars, we did the mice. Oh, I should give you the fill in the blanks first. Um, living out a Jesus mended view of goodness means that our intent and our actions are being transformed by God's grace, not just one or the other. Uh, so number three is our intent and our actions are being transformed by God's grace. Not just our intentions, not just our actions, but both of those matter. Sometimes you can you know, have good intentions and still really hurt someone with your actions. Um, sometimes, you know, you might think you're okay because you're following the rules, but your intention is something that still needs transformation. So it's both. This is what a Jesus mended view of goodness means. Okay, the four monkeys, here we go. So on the left, we have three monkeys. One is see no evil, another one hear no evil and speak no evil. And then on the right, we have the desire no evil. And the head, the heading says external rules versus internal grace. And internal grace is greater. Um, similar to that image we saw before of the two drivers. It's better, according to Jesus, to be the kind of person who is aware more deeply of the issues of the heart and how they impact our actions. Not just the rules. Those are a starting point to help to understand God's heart. And once we do that, we can start to align and um, open our own selves to becoming more as God created us to be, our true selves, our best selves, 
which are desiring to not see somebody harmed, to not see somebody experience the effects of sin and evil, rather than just, okay, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to speak it. So that's why it's got the, the greater, greater than sign. The desire no evil is greater than see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. Okay, my guess is that if you're a church-going person like me, you already care about being a good person. Um, most church-going people that I know, um, that really matters to you. And so if you're here, I'm thinking, you know, what you need to hear most might not be the importance of doing the right thing. You probably are someone that often does the right thing. Um, and then you're such a good Christian that you say, oh, no, no, I, I do the wrong thing all the time. I, that's not me. I, I'm so far from being like God. Well, that shows that you are on the right track. And church people sometimes have a hard time um, accepting the fact that, you know, in certain ways you are on the right track, but maybe differently than, than how you think. And I think it comes back to grace and having grace from God received into not only your heart, but, but your actions. Um, maybe what you need to hear is that Jesus cares just as much about the inside and healing that as he does about, you know, making sure we're doing the right things, saying the right thing, going to the right church, you know, these, these external things that seem to indicate um, something that, you know, the reality is we're not necessarily the same on the inside. And we all have struggles. We all have things that are going to be challenging. But that Jesus-mended vision of goodness is about having our inside and our outside both transformed. And so hopefully... Um, when we need grace, we can give grace. We can give grace to others and we can give grace to ourselves even. Um, maybe we can give grace to ourselves when we make a mistake saying, hey, it's actually understandable to make a mistake. And it doesn't mean that I'm less than human or I'm not worthy of respect just because I honked at the person or because when I was in the heat of the moment on the road, I behave differently than my values and my ideals. You know, the way of grace says, hey, don't beat yourself up for that. Bring that to God. Bring that, you know, from the small things on the road to the deeper things in your relationships. Those are all things that matter to God. So much more than the rules. So much more um, than just the external side of things. So with that, those are your two cars your three mice and your four monkeys. So let's, let's close in prayer. Thank you, God, for your teaching that sows into us a kingdom culture of grace and a desire to be more like you, not just in how we behave, but in our postures of the heart, in our intentions. And I pray that you would shape, shape our desires as individuals and as a church that we would not only know what the right thing to do is and be able to point out when others aren't doing it, but they would, we would also be able to see what it is you're working inside of us and how you want to change us through this experience of whatever it is that you're 
revealing and showing to us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.